Uh, it has been more than uh, 21 years uh, since my one and only visit to Bosnia-Herzegovina uh, with a group of civic leaders from here in Maryland who went there uh, just six weeks after 9-11 to visit our service women and men who were there to stabilize that country and keep the peace after a brutal war there. And it was my privilege to serve as a civilian chaplain for those on that trip and those we uh, served while we were in country. Uh, but the one person that I remember most of all from that experience is a man named uh, Lieutenant General Stephen Blum, who was uh, the commander of the multinational stabilization force uh, in Bosnia at that time and uh, who one day uh, took our group to visit a little village outside uh, the city of Tuzla, which had been ethnically cleansed, uh, which meant, among other things, that uh, many of the homes were partially bombed, others were completely destroyed, including the uh, uh, church at the end of the street in that uh, village. And because there was still uh, some occasional sniper fire uh, in the area during that time, and uh, there were also just many thousands of unexploded landmines uh, throughout that country, before we got out of the van in that village, uh, General Blum uh, got on board and he gave us a command that I remember like it was yesterday. He looked at us and he said, you walk where I walk and nowhere else. Well, I can assure you that not one person disobeyed that command uh, in our group as we listened to the voice and followed the footsteps of our leader. Uh, later that night, uh, when we got back to Eagle Base and we're getting ready to sit down to have dinner with the troops, uh, General Blum uh, barked out one more command. This time it was just to me only. Chaplain, he said, pray. And so I prayed, and, and I prayed that it would be the best prayer I ever prayed in my whole life, because he was one scary dude. Uh, anyway, uh, several denominations around this world, including our own, uh, celebrate the fourth Sunday in the season of Easter uh, as a Good Shepherd Sunday, in which the scriptures point us uh, to that great metaphor of Jesus as our shepherd and to people like you and me who are called to recognize his voice, uh, to listen to his words, to obey his commands, and to walk in his footsteps because he is the one who leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I've preached a lot of sermons you know, on days like this from passages like the beautiful uh, 23rd Psalm, uh, which we pastors sometimes refer to by its nickname, the Tranquilizer or certain parts of John chapter 10, like the one that you heard today. And, and I've talked about how the ancient shepherds of Israel would literally carry with them, you know, a metal rod, maybe about that long, that they would use to beat predators that would come and threaten and attack the flock. And they would also carry uh, the more familiar staff with a great big hook on the end that they would use to guide the flock and to keep them from uh, going astray and sometimes even they would give them you know the great big hook whenever they started to wander off or they got uh, tangled in some thorns or or some bushes and so when David in the 23rd Psalm says your rod and your staff they comfort me that that had real meaning it had real context or when he said that he leads me beside still waters. That had real meaning, it had real context. It was a life-saving image. 
because sheep would sometimes go and drink from the swiftly moving waters of a river. And when they attempted to do that, the water would soak into their wool and it would weigh them down so much that they would on occasion literally be swept away because they didn't have the strength to get themselves out of that situation. Or when a shepherd would move a flock from one pasture to another in the desert hills of Judea, it would often be necessary for them to take that flock into a mountain valley where there literally were shadows and where the wolves and the mountain lions would wait to prey on the flock and attack it. And the shepherd's job was to defend the flock in the shadows where the prospect of death was very real and lead them to the quiet waters and the fresh green pastures where they could receive refreshment and and rest without risk or without danger. And all of those things literally really happened when words like the 23rd Psalm and John chapter 10 were written. But here's the thing, they still happen to this very day in the relationships between the shepherds of Israel and Palestine and the flocks that are committed to their care. And you can go over there and you can observe it and watch it and see it for yourself with your own two eyes. And when I did, uh, the one thing that struck me and that I want to share with you today is that while our images of Jesus as the Good Shepherd are so often very tender and they're very gentle and they're very beautiful, we hang them in our homes and in our Sunday school rooms, the reality, the fact of the matter is that a real-life shepherd is one tough customer because he is willing to give one of his sheep the old hook when it's necessary, regardless of how they feel about it, because he does not want that sheep to get lost or stray away. He is willing to take that rod, as King David himself did, and literally beat that wolf or that mountain lion to death because that is the shepherd's job. That's the shepherd's responsibility. And one of the other images uh, that is literally true is the one we hear about today in John chapter 10, where we find that even though sheep are not the smartest animals in the world, they are able to distinguish and recognize and follow the voice of their shepherd. And you can see that happen with your own two eyes as well, as I did when two flocks were mingled together one day on a pasture outside of Bethlehem, and then one of the shepherds called his flock out of the others, and the sheep recognized their shepherd's voice, and they followed him. And you can go there and see it for yourself, or you can just Google it on YouTube if you don't want to make the trip. All of which is to encourage you on this fourth Sunday of Easter to give thanks, to rejoice that the metaphor is true, that Jesus, the risen Christ, is our shepherd who leads us, who guides us, who defends us through the shadows and in the valleys and among the landmines of this world as we hear his voice and walk where he walks through this life and all the way into the house of the Lord forever. But as great as that metaphor is, and it is, there are some other ways to look at it on this fourth Sunday 
of Easter because when David speaks of the Lord as his shepherd or Jesus in John chapter 10 makes that comparison uh, between his relationship with us and that of a shepherd and his flock of sheep, the metaphor applies to him, but it applies not only to him. Because when you dig into the scriptures, what you will find is that in the Old Testament, kings were referred to as shepherds. Priests in the temple were referred to as shepherds. Judges, prophets, people in positions of authority were referred to as shepherds in Israel. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel uh, issued uh, his infamous stern warning to all of them when he said one time, woe to the shepherds of Israel who are feeding themselves when they should be feeding their flocks. And so Ezekiel wasn't just talking about ordinary shepherds. He was talking about people in positions of power and authority and control over others in their part of the world. Today, he'd be talking to parents to teachers, to coaches, bosses, mentors, managers, supervisors, commanders, politicians, pastors, and anybody else that has authority, influence, or power in your life. And so on this fourth Sunday of Easter, I would also invite you to think about their, these words in their meaning and in their context and use them also to evaluate the quality of the leaders in your life today. Whether you live with them, work for them, vote for them, whoever they happen to be, and also to use these words to evaluate the quality of your own leadership in relationship to the individuals or groups of people that God has placed into your life. Now, there's a guy that uh, some of you may be familiar with. His name is Pat Lencioni, and he has spent his, his basically his professional life studying leadership and writing books about it and meeting with leaders literally all over the world, and, uh, including people like corporate executives and, and military officers and, and even leaders of the church. And he does it from his perspective as a follower of Jesus. And, and one of the first things Pat Lencioni tries to do is get a handle on the motivation of the leaders with whom he has been called to work, uh, which comes in, in his words, one of two categories, one of which is uh, the reward-driven or reward-centered leader. This is the leader who loves to lead because they love the influence, they love the recognition, they love the power, the control, they love even to be feared by those who follow them. These uh, reward-centered leaders are people who love being accountable to no one, they care more about themselves uh, than about those who are called, uh, who they are called to serve, uh, who follow them, even though uh, they want people to follow them. And the problem is that that craving for recognition, for control, for power, for attention, is so great in reward-centered leaders that the only way they can sustain their self-image or their self-conscious concept is to get more and more and more of those things. But that, according to Pat Lencioni, only takes us further and further away from what real leadership looks like in places like the 23rd Psalm and John chapter 10. For followers of Jesus, the good shepherd, for whom real leadership is motivated 
by humility and responsibility and service. It's completely countercultural. It is completely counterintuitive, where the leader thinks more of those he or she is serving than they think of themselves. It is just the opposite of the world's concept of leadership. And so when you evaluate uh, the quality of the leaders uh, in your life who want you to follow them, you can use these words to ask yourself the questions. You know, are they in this to feed themselves? Or are they in this to feed the flock? And quite frankly, it really isn't that hard to tell the difference in most cases. Are they humble? Which is to say that they don't think less of themselves, but they think of themselves less. And the people that they are called to serve more. Do they see themselves as the occupants of a role or a position or an office that is greater than they are for a period of time? Or are they so reward-centered that they really aren't able to see it that way at all? Do they set an example that inspires me and motivates me and makes me want to walk where they walk to avoid the landmines of this world? Do they have my back? Will they defend me or will they stand by and watch me when I get weighed down or swept away or under attack or lost in the shadows? And when they give me, you know, the old hook, is it because they want to punish me or have power and control over me? Or is it because they want me to know how valuable I am how important and critical I am to that flock so that I don't get lost or I don't stray away. You know, if you cannot answer those questions positively, then maybe what you have on your hands is a leader that Jesus refers to in John chapter 10 as a bandit or a thief. Masquerading as a shepherd or as a leader in your life, but ready to steal you away from the life that Christ really wants you to live as his daughter or his son. And as we all know, there are a lot of reward-centered leaders to the detriment of this world and even uh, sometimes to the detriment of the church as well. But on the other hand, if you can answer those questions positively, then according to Pat Lencioni, you may have just hit the leadership jackpot. And you will have somebody who is actually worth following not because they think they're so great, but because they know who, whose they are and their role, their job is to lead you and guide you to the good shepherd who lays down his life in humility at a cross in service and love for you and me. When I apply these questions to the quality of my leadership as a shepherd, I always come to the same conclusion and that is that I have blown it a thousand times. You know, blown it as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a leader, as a friend. Because guess what? I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. But fortunately, by the grace of God, we all get to be works in progress. And you can take every single one of those moments of failure in your life and you can lay them down at the cross 
so that by his forgiveness and grace, you can work again and again, over and over, day by day, on being the kind of leader, the kind of shepherd that this world desperately needs for the glory of God and the hope of this broken world that we live in. And so I give thanks that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. I give thanks for the shepherds that God has placed in my path all my life, who have guided me, who have shaped me, who sometimes were willing to give me the old hook, not to punish me or to control me, but to guide me and to show me how valuable I really am in the flock in which God has placed me. And most of all, I give thanks today on this fourth Sunday of Easter for the greatest leader of all, who washed the feet of his disciples, who humbled himself for us all the way to his cross, out of his empty tomb, to prepare a table for us, to guide us through the shadows and the valleys, all the way into the house of the Lord forever. When we got back from Bosnia, uh, we were honored to have Lieutenant General Stephen Blum worship with us at Old uh, St. Andrew. And, and it gave me occasion to remember his words once again. You walk where I walk. And I would invite you today to do that in relationship to the good shepherd of your soul who came to humble himself so that you and I could hear his voice, follow his example, walk where he walks, lead others toward the savior of their soul and rejoice in the one who takes us all the way into the house of the Lord forever because his reward, his reward, his treasure is you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to rise as we confess our faith together.